0: Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Damn Parenting, your English-speaking parenting podcast from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And as always, we are your hosts, Eva and Naren. Today, we have a special episode as we are celebrating, as it were, Children's Mental Health Week, which is celebrated around the world. And this year's theme is My Voice Matters. We are speaking with Kate Berger from the Expat Kids Club, as she's an expert in this, I think is the only way to put this. So, a real yeah. expert on children's mental health.
1: Exactly, it's not like us googling away opinions, and we're
0: the Google doctors. Keeping-
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, so this episode, we are speaking with a professional and we are looking at different aspects of children's mental health, where we are looking at toddlers, but we're also looking at the older children who are starting school and also children in baser school here in the Netherlands. She specifically works with children from families who are actually relocating. So she's quite focused on that aspect. But I mean, in fairness, I think the transition period is quite effective in many different scenarios, be it you have a new sibling, you're entering a new school. So everything is quite a triggering experience for young children who don't know how to regulate or put words into how they feel, like many of us adults, in fairness. so We're
1: talking real, real transitions and not uh, we're switching from blueberry yogurt to mango yogurt kind of situations. But like there's a new sibling, we're moving to a new country, we're leaving daycare and we're going into school. So these kind of major
0: life transitions. Yeah, without further ado, let's welcome Kate Berger from the Xbox Kids Club. And With that, we'd love to introduce Kate. Hi, and welcome. Thank you for joining us here on Down Parenting for today's episode. Hi,
2: thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Do you want to give us a little bit of your background so that everyone can familiarize themselves with why we brought you on for today's special episode?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm a child and adolescent psychologist. I run a private practice that specializes in supporting third culture and expat kids. Based in the Netherlands, we're also serving the global community. I am myself a native New Yorker who's lived in the Netherlands for something like 15 years now, (laughs) and a mother of two children, two boys myself, that I'm raising multiculturally with my Dutch husband.
0: So yeah, you're gonna have all aspects of this now to be able to help answer all our questions that we've been able to come up with here. So yeah, so today's topic, as we said, is going to be children's mental health. And this year's theme is My Voice Matters, which is about empowering the young children to basically use their voices. First off, I guess, would you be able to help us define children's mental health? Is there a difference between what we generalize as our own mental health as adults?
2: Yeah, so getting my head around the last part of the question, if there's a difference between how we define that for adults, probably just because of, you know, the developmental considerations. But I think children's mental health specifically, meaning that ability to kind of cope with, you know, whatever's thrown their way in terms of from their environment or any of the kind of you know, personal personality or neurological developmental aspects of who they are, um, individual circumstances basically, and be able to just maintain, you know, a state of being where they can function optimally in the environment that they're in, but maybe not even always optimally, (laughs) just sort of um, being able to function. Um, You know, we talk about sort of mental health and well being as a a balancing act balancing a scale where we're actually not trying to obtain this state of like, yay, wonderful positivity, rainbows and butterflies all the time, but more just, you know, balanced state of contentment. So um, when we're looking at children's mental health, how to make sure that they're kind of just reaching that state where they're content and functioning and uh, doing the things that they want to be doing in a way that aligns with their value system and that matches the environment's expectations.
0: You were talking about with the kind of regulation with the emotions and managing the emotions. At what age can children start to express their emotions effectively in general?
2: Yeah, I mean, from the... You know, right beginning, very beginning, right? Of course, the way that they're communicating through um, crying, for example, and body language. You know, throughout development, as we are able to understand the relationship between our thoughts, our feelings, our behavior (laughs) that brings further insight. Um, But this is also something that's really important to help and a young person cultivate that awareness. So learn how to become aware. And I think actually important for many adults, well, all adults, but a lot of adults don't know this stuff too. So, you know, the, the sooner the better in terms of if you can help a young person build this capacity to become aware of who they are, emotionally, socially, behaviorally in any moment. So it's, it's, you know, emotional expression, right? Like it's there from the very beginning. And then it's a matter of understanding what it's looking like, you know, how it will present the functionality of it. So a baby crying, you know, to make sure that those basic needs are taken care of um, versus a 12 year old going into their room is communicating maybe something a little bit different and, and, that behavior, let's say. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but
0: it's <laughs> hopefully well, somewhat. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just thinking like, for example, like toddlers. Yeah, I think we all have toddlers here. So it's a case of there's a huge frustration because they can't verbalize what they want to say. And so there's yeah. quite a physical action there. And it's yeah. a case of, where I think parents are always seeking, how do we encourage them to have a healthier emotional expression? You know, we keep telling them to, you know, take a deep breath, don't kick, don't hit, you know, but is there a better way or is there anything professionally you can recommend?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, definitely, I think that it's important for us to manage our own expectations, also, right? Because actually, toddlers are designed to express themselves in these ways because, like you say, they can't necessarily, they don't have the developmental capacity and the skills and the experience to. Regulate the same way that adults do. A lot of that comes much, much later in life. You know, with the brain development, um, the prefrontal cortex developing throughout our twenties, even to be able to do all that kind of stuff. That regulatory capacity. It's not that we. I, I don't think. I don't think our goal should be trying to get toddlers to be less tantrumy, <laughs> right? Because like this is actually appropriate, <laughs> right? It's more about managing our expectations, understanding that this is. Appropriate. What we can expect, it's it's helpful. they this is their learning process that they go through. Of course, we can give them some guidance and some pointers. Manage our own reactivity to what it feels like for us and how we're coping with when it's really loud and we're in a small space in these Dutch staircases, getting our shoes on and our coats on, and it's like seven in the morning. And everyone wants to just like go nuts, right? but you know, so so becoming, I guess, maybe more informed also for ourselves as as parents and and caregivers to know what we can expect, how to respond to that even you know from from our side of the equation.
1: Something that I struggle with the most, I guess is finding the right time where I can educate my toddler about how to deal with emotions and really like explain age appropriate how to go through all these emotions and when I when they just need security and guidance, so I like, when is kind of the moment where we can really teach them? like Because in the tantrum, obviously, they're not going to, like, when is the time to teach them? When we get very big emotions, then we breathe. Is it before the tantrum? Is it after? <laughs> is it, that's always like the point. Where can I find this moment where I can give them all these tools and they receive it? And then also they make the connection for the next time because obviously when we're playing and everything is relaxed and then all of a sudden it's like okay hey, so next time we have very big feelings this is what we do and then it's like random my daughter's like okay thanks for the info and then she's <laughs> yeah. like gonna make yeah. the connection for two hours later she's like yeah mommy told me two hours ago if I have these right. emotions I'm gonna right. so yeah what this is like the the thing that I'm struggling the most with when are they receptive to this and yeah then when do they get even to the point where, ah, this is the tool I need now?
2: Yeah, and it's it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? And we're putting yeah. in that scaffolding in every moment. So there's every moment is a teachable moment. And indeed, sometimes from a neurological, physiological perspective, when they're tantruming, you know, they're in that emotional brain, the lid is flipped, all that kind of stuff, you're not going to be able to to connect it with the higher level making sense of. But you can be teaching by modeling how we create space for these feelings, right? So we're not at that point where, okay, so what do we do when we have these feelings? We're just at like, whoa, okay, I see big feelings are here. Maybe it's even, you know... Something that I did the other day with my kids, like, "Mommy's going to step out of the room for a few minutes," right? Like, and that doesn't mean that the next time my four and a half year old can do that himself. But we're, you know, over time, repeating, repeatedly, showing that this is the safe way to show up and respond to these big feelings and it, you know, it sticks, it's reinforced over time, right? It becomes a habit actually (laughs) when we Mm -hmm. do it this way. It's always the right moment, but it's also important for us to check ourselves in terms of what are we expecting here? That if, you know, I do it and I teach and they're receptive and receive that two hours later, they're gonna be able to do it. Maybe not because developmentally they can't do that yet, (laughs) right? But it's just kind of like step by step by step, bringing it in, scaffolding or long-term, getting there eventually so that because we say all the time in practice with the when we're supporting a family and working with the parents like we're raising adults we're not raising kids right so we're preparing them for adult life (laughs) and so eventually when your daughter is you know 30 years old hopefully she'll be able to do that stuff that you want her to be able to do in these moments but right now you know you're guiding her and helping her build that learning along the way
1: So it's really about the whole leading by example and repeating it myself, repeating it myself. And then one day, yeah, like you said, I think that's, that was a good thing you said, make it a habit. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes sense to me too. It's then a reflex or it's then the, that's, that's what we do.
2: Right. And I think, I think worth mentioning also is that a lot of times parents, myself included, by the way, in all of this, um, as a parent, you know, we... We try and we try and we're like, yes, okay, I modeled the right thing in that moment. Great. And then we just have a shitty day or we're tired or whatever it is. And we totally mess it up. And then we're like, oh, no, I've undone all of that good stuff that you know I, I've been mm-hmm. building on. But actually, like everything, that's so helpful to have those moments to show that this is part of our process process and to be able to go back and be like oh my goodness you know I really lost it and and in that interaction or whatever it is like you know this is what I noticed this is where I was I'm so sorry because apologizing our kids is also super super important sometimes and I'm going to try to do that differently not I'm never going to do it again or anything like that but like you know we're working on this this is something that we will continuously for the rest of our life be working on how to regulate and and you know show up and take care of ourselves and our relationships of course
0: I have this thing in our household where I don't know where I heard it from But I keep telling anytime something happens with, you know, the toddler, the tantrums or whatever, all I say to myself and to my husband is a case of they have to go through it a hundred times for them to kind of get it into their heads and to kind of get used to it. So there's no point stopping them or distracting them or intermitting the whole process because you're just delaying their process of getting through these 100 times for Mm. them to kind of process it. I don't know where I heard it from, but this is keeping me sane.
2: Yeah, I I like that. Yeah, yeah, because that really helps just give you that context of like, this is a long term process, (laughs) right? A 100 times or whatever it might be, right?
0: I just say a 100 times and I'm kind of like, well, it's not 10 times. (laughs) I don't, it's not going to be hopefully a thousand times but it's just that thing that when we're learning to do something like if you're learning to do calligraphy or if you're doing woodwork if you're doing something that requires a skill you have to it's repetition it's repetition and then finally you kind of get it into your brain and it becomes a skill and so again I don't know where I heard it from but this is just a mantra that I keep having in my own head and I vocalize to my husband when we're going through another one of those episodes I like that since you're actually here with from your own profession with helping expats and international people moving abroad and how they're going to help with their children. So major life changes. So, you know, the moving, having a new sibling, equally starting schools. What kind of strategies can parents use to help the children cope in these different phases of their lives with something new happening?
2: One of the things, of course, like with uh, all this that's so important is to make sure that as parents, we are creating space for whatever it is that our children might be experiencing in the midst of these transitions, let's say. So what we see with relocation, for example, but I can certainly imagine all the other transitions that you talked about as well, uh, that this would be common for parents to kind of shift into either a problem-solving mode with their kids where it's like, oh, but, you know, think about this, or this is going to be great, or da-da-da, or indeed, like, you know, really only focus on those positives. Like you're going to love your new school. Or it's going to be so nice having a sibling or these kinds of things. Of course, you know, that's great to include that in the way we were talking about any of this stuff. But we also want to let our kids know that there's room for it to not be great. You know, any of the feelings that you're having in relation to this change are welcomed and okay. And we're going to be here with you through the experience unconditionally you know all that kind of stuff is important to to communicate in these kinds of moments
0: yeah i think that's actually really good to kind of say good and bad everything's accepted and it's gonna happen
2: right it's kind of hard to get
0: that into a toddler's head though isn't it (laughs) What do you mean? In what in what way? Well, I'm just wondering, like, with different ages of different children, like a toddler, if they have a new sibling, or for a four-year-old who's about to start a new school, or for someone who moves here who might be five, six, seven, eight, or nine, joining a new school, they would all have different kind of levels, I guess, of mm-hmm. understanding. But is it the same blanket approach?
2: Yeah, so I, I think it really is, right? It's about just creating space, being curious, being open that those moments of empathic connection where we're coming, you know, with questions to ask about how they're understanding or processing or experiencing this, right? Depending on age and development, it might look a little bit different about how you show up. Um, It might be something like, you know, for a really young kid, like, let's draw our color, what you're thinking or feeling about this for an older kid, it might be a more kind of directed kind of conversation where you can ask questions specifically about, hey, what are some of the thoughts that are coming up for you in relation to this, you know, change that we're about to go through sort of thing. But I think the the main point is, is really that there's that openness, because again, and with a lot of this stuff, don't forget parents, you know, we we're in that problem solving mode ourselves, if you're moving to a new place, a new baby is coming. I mean, gosh, there's so much planning and, you know, things, so many things that have to be organized and are happening or changing schools, meetings, you know, all this kind of stuff that we get in that doing mode. And it's so important to just slow it down, shift gears. So we're much more able to just be with our kids and ourselves. It's always coming back to ourselves, right? (laughs) Through these experiences.
0: It was just something that you're saying there and it just reminded me of those, I don't know if it's the 1980s or something, but it's just like you'd have like weekly meetings with family. I don't know, like a check-in or something.
2: Yeah, we often recommend that for families, like, you know, schedule that time, as families go through any kind of transition, the importance of having having those stabilizing factors or continuing to engage in routines, you know, really matter uh, as you go through all this change, because with relocation, specifically, you know, there's so much instability, it's not only the place and the people, it's sometimes often cultural norms and who I am in the context of where I am and that whole identity piece. So maintaining whether it's Consistent family meetings, or you know, dinners, or whatever the rituals are that you celebrate, maybe the uh, uh, participate in as a family, become really important. And sometimes even just having that checkpoint even if you think that there's not going to be really much to discuss or look at together, like just having that time set aside. So it becomes this kind of sacred space where we just show up as we are <laughs> with whatever we're bringing to that is so, so important and valuable. We even sometimes see with some of the families that we work with, you know, if a, if a child's coming in regularly for sessions, and we're getting to a point where maybe there's not from a therapeutic perspective, much more happening currently, we we are often, recommending like keep having this weekly slot in your schedule but you know spend it together right like you don't need to come to the office here anymore but like take your child out for you know a hot chocolate or a trip to the playground or whatever it is because there's something about creating that space in our busy calendars right that is so important for kids to know that they matter and they're worth you know your time yeah
1: I think mean, this is really important when you said this whole also coming back to the very beginning of managing our own expectations about these changes and the advantage that we have of course as parents and adults is that we see the bigger picture you know mm. so we know oh this is worth it because I this is the bigger reason we're doing this and when you said we're keeping ourselves busy and we know why we do this but the toddler or the even younger child doesn't see the bigger picture they just see I'm losing my friends the weather is changing like when we're moving countries. I don't have my favorite cereal anymore. And then also there's this stupid new baby. Right, <laughs> so that's, that's what they see. They don't see, oh great, I'm fostering a sibling relationship with this new person and I have all these great opportunities here. Like, right. They don't see that. They just see what right. they don't have anymore and what is disrupted in their routine. And I guess this is then really getting to the level and also what you said, this whole connection and giving them the space to out of my busy life, organizing all this, like really, how are you feeling and give them the space. And also, I guess when they see, especially when you said they come to you as a professional and they know, okay, we, we're in this co- professional setting. I can connect with this professional, but then they also know, and I can also connect with my parent. And right. that's also then the, the quality time that we spend.
2: Totally. Yeah, our goal and practices is, is always to, you know, for, for a child to get to a point where they really don't need us anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. And if that means helping cultivate and foster a better relationship with their parents, and, you know, use that time that you come to see us to spend it with your parents. You know, I mean, I'm saying it really generally, of course, there are good reasons for people to engage in therapy, you know, but but there is something to that making time for each other part. That's so helpful.
0: The fact that it's a case of the child feels they can talk and like their voice matters Then,
1: Yeah. And how important do you think is it to connect with other people in the children's life? So with teachers or with daycare teachers or whatever, like to have that conversation openly, like, okay, we're having this transition right now, or we just moved here and these are the struggles. Should we get them into the boat? Or is this then seen by the child as, oh, the adults are teaming up and now I'm like alone. And so, Yeah. Yeah. Is it clear what I'm saying? I don't know. I think so. I mean, when is it good to really make this broader connection with someone outside so we can as two people or like as a team look on the child's development or is it they need to find their connection with them and we separately do it at home or yeah.
2: mm -hmm. I mean, I am a big believer in support teams, (laughs) you know, just because as as humans, right, we're social creatures and we just get, there's so much benefit from being a part of a group, <laughs> a community, you know, a, a support team. So in a very general sense, it's beneficial to engage the relevant parties in supporting a child of course you know providing that consistency across environments in terms of maybe language that you're using or ways you're talking about certain things or for you know a teacher to know what's happening at home or vice versa that that's usually very very helpful there might be exceptions if a child is old enough to be able to say that they don't want that type of communication happening for some reason of course we want to hear that and explore why there might be resistance there and honor if it feels like it's appropriate safe and relevant or challenge it if we have a different perspective but you know i think also because we wear a certain hat in supporting our kids as a parent and and biologically are wired to react and respond in certain ways to our it's the same thing like you hear another kid's baby crying and you're fine you hear your own baby crying and you're like "Ah," right um Mm -hmm. so you know we're gonna we're not always gonna see it with the objectivity and clarity and so it's useful to have that in certain situations from other people um so generally speaking i think it's 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 really a good thing to have the the support structures in place that in a collaborative way
1: Mm -hmm.
0: would you be able to help us then figure out with this like when you're actually trying to you know for parents to strike a balance between fostering the independence yet also being able to provide the secure support system so like you said talking with a teacher or if the child voices their concern that you listen them out to see if they're going to if it's relevant or not well what they're stating how do you strike that balance of you know making sure that they are independent but that they are knowing that they are fully supported
2: so you know, you want to, like, if it's the situation where a child doesn't want you communicating with the teacher, for example, at the end of the day, you know, what we also say to parents is that it's important that your kids know that you are upper management. right? You are going to take you know, the feedback and the questions and hear their perspectives, of course, that come through the suggestion box, like if you were in a corporate office, right? But at the end of the day, you will ultimately be making the decisions that you think are aligned with, you know, the family values and how you can best support your child. And it is important to, you know, communicate that also in a way where you're letting your kids know that it's not a dictatorship, right? You really are listening to them. They they need to feel like they are actually heard. Right. So they might say, I don't want you to talk to my teacher. Okay, help me understand that some more. Okay. Right. It's it's not that it's like free reign for them to just say like you can't, you know, because if I mean it would be all just long video games and not talking to the teacher and eating crap, right? (laughs) Like if if they were allowed to run the show on the other end, we don't want to be just like, no, I'm doing this anyway no video games and no sugar, Because right? that's very extreme. So we want it to be more democratic than that. But also at the end of the day, you know, our job as parents, and I even say this to my, my kids, I'm like, look, like you guys know, and they, they kind of like laugh already. They know that I'm like, you guys know, what, you remember my job, right? And they're like, yeah, your mom, right? And I'm like, yeah, that means I can't let you eat sugar all day. Like, I would love that. That would be awesome. I'd love to eat sugar all day too. But <laughs> we can't do that. I can't do that. I'd be doing a bad job, right? So like, you know, letting them know that ultimately I take this job really seriously. And number one is safety. (laughs) Number two is health, which kind of spills into the safety category and love and support and all those sorts of things. And then we can go from there Um, so that it's fair and reasonable, but it's also with boundaries, right? Like I'm in charge (laughs) and you can trust me that I will be in charge, right? We know the research is clear, of course um, all that attachment stuff that kids do better when they feel safety and security in terms of having that parental structure in place that they can lean on and you know fall on, often as well, right? It, it, it strengthens their sense of safety and security in the world. I'm in charge. I'm running. I am actually running the show. I you think you need think to you come into running. my
0: house. Yeah, you need to come into my house because it's the other way around, and it's a dictatorship by my toddler here <laughs> in this house. So I got to figure that one out.
1: When we talk about the feelings that come with transitions or anxiety or feeling angry or scared or anything is there anything in particular or is it a time frame or intensity of feelings that we as parents can look out for what is in the normal scope and when is there a point where we should pay attention to oh like this anxiety is actually like tipping over not in a putting this in quotations healthy and normal scope dealing with the situation or the anger that they're having is we've moved here two years ago and this the child is still super angry about like when is there any markers that we can keep an eye on where we say okay this is totally normal within the frame within the scope and this is something that needs to be addressed and of course speaking from a perspective that we're dealing with a healthy child so mm-hmm. non-neurodivergent or anything that is like the the baseline.
2: Yeah. I mean, of course, everyone's gonna we say everyone's going through a transition in their mm-hmm. own time and in their own way. So that's important to keep in mind that, you know, your experience through this transition curve and there is mm. research and you can google it and see the transition curve of like the you know the honeymoon and then like the settling in and all that kind of stuff it's hard to pin that to an actual timeline
1: mm-hmm.
2: again just because everyone's going to go through it in their own way but some of the things that you'd expect in terms of like the pre-departure you know lead up and then that time where you're actually landing and settling and all that they, they say something like the first year Or the year of the the transition itself is is where most of this stuff takes place. But having said that, we certainly work with kids that you know are processing different aspects of of relocation years later, especially if there've been multiple relocations, or you know there's so many factors involved. If there wasn't sort of opportunity for them to process the complexity of what they were going through, because maybe they were, you know, a part of a family that was not necessarily comfortable creating space for emotions or things like that. There's no real timeline or marker per se. But I think that generally, you know, you can keep an eye on behavioral changes, of course. So if a child is shifting in any kind of way where they used to like doing things and not doing it anymore, or you're seeing like a major increase in tantrums or resistance to certain things. Those would be the kinds of signs that, and that's usually when we hear from people with inquiries of like, Hey, this, you know, we moved six months ago, my child seems really angry or, you know, hasn't made friends or whatever it might be. And so that would be a reason to kind of explore it further.
1: Mm -hmm. And I guess also then in the other direction, if I have a child who was super lively and going out and, then if they like hold this all back and they don't speak anymore, they don't right. want to play with others. So like also keep right. that then I guess in. in exactly.
2: Exact. Anything that would be a shift from what you were saying before, you know, and knowing that transition of course, you know, brings challenge. So you will see some, I mean, we also got families who it's like, you know, they just landed a week ago and they're like, oh my gosh, everything's really hard. You know, it's not going mm. well. And we're like, okay, give yourself a little more time before you draw these conclusions about what's happening. Cause, you know, your nervous system is so activated in the midst of all this new <laughs> that's happening around you. Um, and this is actually a normative response to this kind of change. Right. So there's no, there's no like answer, but it's just. Mm-hmm keeping your eyes and your ears and your heart open to what's happening, mm. trusting your, your intuition, right? I know they say that all the time for parents, but mm. it's, it is mm. so true, right? Just trusting that, you know, if there's something that you're thinking like, mm, maybe, and that's where the support system so helpful, right? Mm. Talk to the teachers, talk to the professionals, like, is this what you would expect? What do you think about that? What questions should I be asking about my, my situation? That's when it's it's great to lean on others.
0: When we think of like the children, obviously, you don't want to think of children with any anxiety or stress, because that's obviously no parent wants that in their child's childhood at all. I mean, there's going to be enough of that in the future for them. But how can parents actually address these issues with their children?
2: Stress will show up from the moment they're born. (laughs) Children will experience (laughs) stress. And it's important and appropriate that they do. The experience of being stressed is very functional for us. You know, as we've evolved from cave people times, um, it it activates us in certain ways so that we can appropriately respond to our environment. So you're never going to protect your child at any age from being stressed. When it shifts into anxiety from a clinical perspective, that's when it's interfering, of course, with their ability to live the life that they want to live. It's preventing them from doing things. Anxiety is on such a spectrum, especially nowadays too. And the Way that we talk about it. But I think it it's back to kind of where we were starting in terms of that psychoeducation that takes place, all those teachable moments where you can bring in this learning about what's happening in my mind and my body. So, from a young age, you know, again, drawing or identifying, what do you, you feel in your tummy right now? Right. Or like, what are you noticing? Are you clenching your fists or all that kind of stuff, just to start to tune into it and become aware so that there is language. You know, whether it's verbal or, or other ways of expressing ourselves uh, to communicate, you know, that I'm needing some support. <laughs> right. So, yeah, learning and talking about it <laughs> and sharing it together. And sometimes that's, again, modeling it, noticing, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm having such a hard time or I'm feeling so stressed or whatever it might be. We're, we use a lot of scales also or thermometers, right, like on a one to ten or red, yellow, green you know that kind of stuff can be really helpful too
1: is it also helpful if we communicate how we feel with the child so is it okay if I say oh my god I understand I'm also super scared like we're in this new city and mommy is also nervous or is this gonna make the child feel oh shit mommy feels insecure like she's not like this is the question how much do I communicate of course i know that I'm not going to, my child is not my therapist, obviously, but how open should we be in order to make a connection and a bridge? Or does it then make the child feel even more unsafe because they think, oh my God, she's unstable. I can't leave her.
2: I know this is a question parents ask all the time, right? It's like, Mm because we're walking that line between balancing, like wanting to teach them by modeling, but also not freak them out that I and 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 it there is a bit of a balancing act that takes place and um it depends, you know, the answer depends on of course how you are doing with managing your own stress or anxiety, maybe, right? And being really mindful and honest with yourself about that. And if it feels like you're in a place where you're actually maybe not managing it, it's probably less safe to communicate as directly. But one little thing that that you mentioned in there that is really a little shift, a tweak. And again, always, this is something that comes up with parents when we're talking about and when we're modeling our experiences for our kids, the difference between mommy knows what this is like because this happens with me versus this is what happens with me. Is this what you experience Mm -hmm. or is this similar to what you go through? Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what my child is going through because I'm not my child. You can never really know from that openness, that curiosity of like, okay, so here's how it happens for me. Is this kind of like how it happens for you? Mm -hmm. Right. And helping them connect the dots. Um, And then you get a little more kind of buffer filter to decide how much you're going to disclose, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when I think about us moving to this new country, I also start to have thoughts like da, da da da, or I start to feel a little stressed and anxious. Is that what it's like for you? Tell me more mm-hmm. about that. So it's okay. it's it's about their experience, and and it doesn't become an opportunity for you to just like dump on them.
1: <laughs> yeah. So make this invitation to the conversation and the connection. Then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I like that word. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and avoiding parentifying your own child at that stage as well. So <laughs> <laughs> if we flip it, is there a way we can actually promote resilience? in our children
2: yeah and what do you mean flip it just so I. well we were talking
0: about how to deal with the stress and the anxiety and we're kind of like communicating and bonding and so I'm just kind of flipping it that way just to be kind of like okay like we're helping them cope and chat so it's just a case of well yes coping mechanisms but if flipping it is also the resilient side of just kind of like okay there also has to be a little bit more toughening up and helping support them with that
2: yeah. And the resilience, this idea of resilience, of course, is, you know, the way I like to explain it is we're back in the 80s. And it's those punching bags that used to like, you know, get knocked over and then bounce back up. That's the idea of resilience, right? It's like we get knocked down, we come back up. And maybe sometimes it's this like a little bit and we bounce back. And then sometimes it's more and right. So constantly, things are going to knock us over or going to challenge us in different ways. And our ability to come back, and then continue living the life that we want to live and working towards those goals and things that matter to us, the person I want to be, all that good stuff. So helping kids learn and model and explain to them, you know, yes, these kinds of things happen to me. Is that what it's like for you? Here's what I have tried in those moments. What do you think? Would that be helpful? I'm going to go step out of the room and take a couple of breaths. You know, would you like to do that? <laughs> right? Again, that invitation, right? So because, you know, I mean, up until a certain age <laughs> when they become teenagers and like actually are going to want to do complete opposite of what you're doing, right? There will be a, a sort of desire to emulate to some extent what my parents do in these, in these tough moments, right? And as teenagers, it's still there by the way, right? There's just, they're wired to resist you in a different way and it'll come back and then they'll be like, oh yeah, all that stuff you taught me. Thank you. <laughs> That's so helpful, <laughs> right? Hopefully. But so, you know, again, I think, I think it's that invitation word, um, that you were using, Martin. it's like inviting them to be able to decide for themselves whether or not this coping mechanism that I use would be something that's helpful. And if you don't have an example to be able to give them, it can also just be, again, that question of like, what do you think would be helpful here? What can we do? What do you need from me, (laughs) right, to be able to get through this? I feel like
0: there's a lot of work to be done. (laughs) Like Just listening to you, I'm like, oh, okay, there's a lot of modeling work. There's a lot of... yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, well, it's a huge job. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like it's such an understatement, but it's true, right? It, it's mm-hmm. a constant, constant. There's no time off. It's 24 seven. And, you know,
0: The goalposts keep changing.
2: Exactly. All that stuff. Right.
0: <laughs> so so with that, would you actually recommend any resources or tools for us parents to be able to use to help educate ourselves as well as the children on the children's mental health aspect of things?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I you guys mentioned Dan Siegel's work. We're huge fans of that in our practice as well. And there, you know, once you sort of start delving into that space on on the world wide web, there's all kinds of directions you'll find yourself. But anything that kind of starts with. You know, psychoeducation in terms of the sort of how our thoughts and our feelings impact our behavior, and then how we can show up and validate our kids' experiences and normalize what they're going through in the context of this system and mind body that we operate out of. In terms of relocation, Specific resources, the FIGT organization, Families and Global Transition, FIGT.org is a great starting point for resources and a network of providers, service providers from all kinds of educational, military, missionary you name it, backgrounds that focus on supporting the third culture kid community. I've been actively involved with FIGT for a long, long time. And the there's the sort of Bible of the community, which is the book Third Culture Kids, written by Ruth Van Raken, who started FIGT. So this is going back something like 25 years that they've been around as an organization. And again, you know, you just find yourself in the corners of the internet that have the information. There's another great one that I love, um, actually started by a parent who was here in Amsterdam for a while called Tilt Parenting. I don't know if you're familiar with T-I-L-T. And she wrote the book Differently Wired, which is looking at supporting the neurodivergent community, but, you know, really just relevant for just parenting in general. So Tilt Parenting, um, they have a podcast and resources on their website also is a, is a great one that we often are recommending for families. Podcasts like yours, of course, and probably many more that I'm not thinking about right now, but you probably know about already.
0: Any other questions, Myron?
1: Lots to process. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering. I'm remembering i remembering can...
1: that what you said, it's the marathon. It's a long, long process. You have to divide your energy. You have to know you have to keep going and managing your expectations while you're running. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's um. so the John Kabat Zinn, who is sort of the modern, I don't know, like mindfulness guru, <laughs> say it super simply, has done incredible work, and then sort of bridged into some mindfulness for kids spaces and, and kind of brought some really wonderful practitioners forward, collaborated with him. But I heard him talk in a mindfulness context about, you know, supporting kids and um uh, sitting still like a frog is a good mindfulness book for kids, by the way. But he talks about the kids as Zen masters, <laughs> right? Our kids are our Zen masters, right? This constant Practicing <laughs> that they are forcing us to do <laughs> in terms of checking in with ourselves, managing our expectations, seeing the bigger, wider picture—you know, stepping outside of ourselves and getting out of our own way sometimes—and all these kinds of things. Right, that our children are are really offering this opportunity for us as as individuals really but also as just you know people to as people collectively to uh grow and evolve and cultivate and live and experience you know the most wonderful things in life too even though it's really really hard sometimes a lot of the time most of the time (laughs) every day yeah
0: (laughs) okay well look with that um thank you so much honestly there's a lot more questions i can ask right now but as we said like i think we actually got quite a lot out there that we're going to have to process as parents first <laughs> off but it's also a case of the whole modeling thing and kind of getting into the mind of that and also listening to our children and i think that that's a whole learning thing for parents to be able to undertake because it's going to be a huge undertaking for parents to actually sit and you know hear them out basically when it's a case mm-hmm. of we're not a dictatorship as you say so mm-hmm. So with that, we're going to say thank you so much. Probably we will be back in touch with you for something else in the future, because um, there's a lot more questions that need to be asked, I think, out there. For now, thank you so much for your time.
2: Yeah, no, well, thank you also for having me. And, uh, you know, this was a great invitation for me to remember some of this stuff because I need to be reminded too. So thank you both for the the important work that you're doing and uh, looking forward to continued collaboration. Thank you.
1: I'm always so happy to have these psychological experts on because I can ask so many questions that are relevant for my parents free my daily life. Yes, exactly. We already have this with Naomi, but now we had this with Kate and just again so helpful to check in with an expert and actually get to ask your questions like I did with the whole so am I oversharing my feelings am I oversharing stuff and it's good to hear like no you're not oversharing but let's make sure it's in a age-appropriate acceptable frame but that's always good to hear that I'm not doing it totally wrong so that that was reassuring and I thought what what my main takeaway was really this whole thing that she said of managing the expectations. And really putting it into what can I really, well, I don't even want to say expect, but wish for that I receive as a reaction from a three year old or two year old or five year old, even. And that really, the the constant reminder of their brain is under construction. And that is for me always, you cannot hear this enough because, of course, I'm dealing, like, I'm coming from my perspective and I know in theory, that their brains are under construction, but then it gets out the window at one point, And I'm like, w- why are you not reacting the, the way you-, you should be reacting? Yeah, should be reacting, I guess. But then it's going to be until they're their mid 20s and then their brain is eventually done so that was that's always a good reminder to come back to they're dealing with it they're not equipped yet they're doing it out of what they have what you model and that's always a good reminder for me
0: yeah for me it's also the same thing when you brought up that question I was like yeah that's that's a good that's a good point and yeah it's always just the case that it's always in my head you know they're trying to figure out what their body is forget about the world and society um And that's where the whole thing, and I still don't know where I got it from the whole hundred times, the children have to experience something like a hundred times to be able to cope with it. So that's basically my mantra in daily life. And so I don't, I don't want to distract any emotions.
1: Yeah. That was, by the way, so, so helpful when you said this and I was like, yes. And especially when you said they have to experience this a hundred times or how how many ever times it is. But what you said, if we distract them, we just delay it it and they have to and they need to process it at one point. So that was from your side, a good reminder for me, like, yes, there is no such thing as really erasing it or distracting it because they f- the feeling needs to be felt. So I mean, that's yeah. life,
0: isn't it? I mean, we're all going to yeah. have to go through heartbreak and loss and everything else. And we have to. So
1: yeah.
0: as you said, like we're changing the yogurt flavor from blueberries to another flavor. <laughs> the child is going to have to go through that process. And we're just going to sit mm-hmm. with them and go, yeah, it's, you know, it sucks. <laughs> I'm absolutely grateful for Kate because she has a wide variety, like array of like uh, different age groups that she's working with. And the fact that she was actually saying, you're booking the session every single week. And maybe you don't still need this, but please take this into account, still spend this time, you know. And that's the thing is like the, as you mentioned, like the Dan Siegel connection before correction thing. It was Mm. a case of that actually is a quite a a note in my head of, yeah, you know, in the future, it's going to be a case of have that special thing like, you know, my husband takes my daughter out maybe for a daddy-daughter dates or, you know, mommy will, I don't know, pop popcorn and we can watch movies when she's a little older or something. So it's kind of making something like a ritual and something special for each other.
1: Yeah. I I thought that was also really nice when she said this, yeah, this remark of still spend the time with your child. It's still an appointment. And if I'm not there, she isn't the Professional. It's still the time is there to connect, and I thought that was really again a good reminder to really make this time really the quality time. I'm really dedicating this time now. I'm not distracted by the phone or cooking or cleaning or whatever hundred things are going on, but really focusing only on the connection. And that was again. I mean, it's like these all these things we know in theory, but then they just go out the window when the daily life comes in. And I'm so grateful that we have these. These constant reminders of the professionals saying, Go back to the basics, go back to connection, go back to understanding, go back into their world. And but yeah, that's why we're doing this. So we get to hear it over and over and over again,
0: hundred times until we, we have processed it and until we have learned it you uh, can find Kate from the expat kids club she's found on Instagram she also has her website as well expat kids club please hit her up you know follow her she's got some great tips and it's always a nice reminder to also have in your social channels because I find our social channels are usually filled with beautiful houses kids you know mm-hmm. wearing matching mommy daughter outfits or whatever and it's like well no like let's have a bit of a reality check so it's kind of nice that yeah um, she's got a nice theme to it nice colors and It's actually got quite good content in there. So be sure to follow them. I think Maren's going to end this one. Yeah, of course. And also follow us on Instagram, damn parenting podcast.
1: And on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I always forget this, but we're also on YouTube. So you have Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, four channels where you can get your podcasts from, from us with the information. Every Wednesday, we drop an expert episode and mostly every Monday, we drop a damn chats episode. That's it. So make sure you hit subscribe, like, share this episode with anyone who this might be interesting for. Activate the bell so you get notified when we're there with a new episode and give us some stars so we get recognized and can keep up this good work. So with that, we're going to
0: end uh, your Voice Matters episode.
1: Listen to your children. Bye. Bye.